Support for In a City Like Yours comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Listen up. Untrimmed pubes are a thing of the past. It's time to gear up and get yourself the gift of shaving this holiday season. I'm talking about the Manscaped Perfect Package 2.0. This revolutionary company, Manscaped, has redesigned the electric trimmer. It's also waterproof so you can use it in the shower. The Lawnmower 2.0 comes inside the perfect package, which makes it the perfect gift this holiday season. Tis the season to manscape, so get yourself, your dad, your brother, your friends, the best gift of all, the Manscaped Perfect Package 2.0. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code BIGHEADS at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. That's B-I-G-H-E-A-D-S. This is a call to action, fellas. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BIGHEADS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code BIGHEADS. Clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. listening to In a City Like Yours, a semi-monthly podcast featuring interesting people with interesting life stories. This podcast may contain language and or subject matter not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Michael G. Moore. Please visit our website at inacitylikeyours.com. That's I-N-A-C-I-T-Y L-I-K-E-Y-O-U-R-S dot C-O-M for links to our social media, all popular podcast platforms, and links of interest pertaining to all episodes. On this episode, David begins his story at the age of 13, when his aunt gifted him with a large stack of comic books. David soon realized that he was different from his peers and that he was illiterate, reading at the third grade level. David struggled through teaching himself how to read and began to write and self-produce comic books. Since then, he has started his own company producing comics, novels, anthologies, as well as film and TV scripts. He eventually began podcasting in several genres. When his wife passed away, he struggled with continuing moving forward. Then over a short period, he began to put on excessive weight. Now he spends more time with his children as well as working out to get a handle on his weight issue. He is now involved with the film industry and has a new movie coming out soon. Here is David's story. Hi, my name is David K. Montoya. I'm 42 years old and I'm from Apple Valley, California. And this tell starts when I was 13 and I just recently started talking about it because it's something that I'm not overly fond of, of sharing, but I think putting it out there into the public, it, it helps me deal with the issue of what I've, I dealt with. And that is illiteracy. Now, I've always been a tall person. I'm, I'm six foot two as an adult and even as a child literally going all the way back to kindergarten uh, I was tall I was taller than everyone and there's a stigma or an old saying in California that they will pass you on just based on your appearance it doesn't matter how good you are in academics if you look the part they will pass you on and unfortunately 
especially for me, unfortunately, that is true. Um, from most of my life that I can think back in school, and and I, I'm talking as early as like elementary school. I I was never a good student. I never cared about reading, but because of my heights and the way I looked, I was passed on to the next grade. Well, when it came time and I went into high school, my freshman year of high school here in, in California, you do a, a placement test to find out where you go in what class for what, you know, in high school. And I took a reading aptitude test. And though I was a freshman, ninth grade, I had a barely, actually it was like a 2.9, which is not even actual third grade reading level. And that was my reading, what was my issue. And everybody had known this now. Uh, before then, everybody was like, how is that possible? How is that possible? And I, I learned to fake very, very well. Um, it's... It's something that I thought, okay, I'm, I'm an idiot. I'm, I'm, you know, intellectually stupid. And I just kind of dealt with that issue and moved on with my life until literally everybody and their brother knew that I could not read. And that just the shame and the, you know, the self-worth just plummeted. So... I went on and around my 13th birthday, I'm backing up a little bit in the story. Uh, my aunt had given me a stack of comic books. And in fact, I, I can remember that there were X-Men comic books. And she gave them to me for a birthday present. And I just, I set them on my table or nightstand and they had sat there for months. And, oh goodness, I want to say around August, maybe September of that year, I decided to look, you know, open it up for the very first time. My birthday is in May, so it was like there for four, three to four months, sitting there collecting dust. And I opened them up, and I, I've always been an enthusiast of art. Um, as long as I can remember, I've, I've loved to draw, I love looking at artwork. And something sparked in me. And I, I looked through the, you know, I looked through them all. And I loved the artwork. It was, uh, you know, traditional Marvel style 90s artwork. Lots of detail, lots of color. That was when, like, you know, computer coloring was becoming a thing. And I loved it. I, I absolutely loved the artwork. And it, it became a, almost a ritual. Every day I would come home and I'd sit down and I'd, I'd look at the artwork and, and maybe even try to sketch out some panels until I made a decision, a self-decision of I wanted to know what the story was. So I went ahead and, and I, I Turned it to page one and, and looked at the word. Okay, I knew what that word was, so let's go look at the second word. And the third word. Well, I think it was like the fourth word was a word that I didn't know. And I had a, you know, an old, obviously this is way before the internet. Um, I had an old hand dictionary, which I still have to to this day. Um, but what I would do is I'd try to look it up, try to look up the word. But, you know, sometimes that doesn't work when you don't have that high of a, you know, a reading level. So I, I would go and I'd go to my parents and I'd like, okay, what's this word? And they'd say, well, look it up. So I would show them, okay, I can't look up this word because I'm not smart enough kind of thing. And they would help me look up the word and then I would practice the word until I got to know it. Well... In time, I, I would highlight the word every time I came across the word, and and there's there's words that would shock you that I didn't know. Something like absolutely, I didn't know what absolutely was. I mean, I knew what the word was verbally and audibly, 
but I didn't know what it was in written terms. So I started reading more and more comics. I started to like save my lunch money and, and buy more comics and, until I, I was like a full-on, full-fledged addict. I loved to read. And I was, I found my stuff, you know, I was, I was branching out. I started trying to write, you know, not write, but I started reading like uh, Stephen King novels because I loved his movies. And that brought me to a whole new world, you know, and I was trying to read his world, uh, his words rather. And then it, it came to a point where I had literally taken everything in that I could afford, you know, um, collecting comic books, the further you go back, you know, the more expensive it got. And I was a, a teenager and, and, uh, I was only capable of, of purchasing like a, a full on book, you know, like a novel, maybe one, once or twice, uh, a year just so I could, you know, have money because they were more, more money than comics. So I'd rather spend them on comics than novels. And I had taken in everything and I had nothing to ingest. So I decided, which leads me to the point that changed my life for the rest of my life, was I was going to write a story. I was going to write a, a comic book story because I had nothing to read. So I was going to start writing my own stuff. And I still have that story. And I wrote the story, and, and of course, I, I didn't have many friends back then that would read. That was probably, you know, part of the problem. We all kind of lumped together. And I was my teacher, and, and uh, give me a minute, I'll remember her name. Miss Kennedy. Mrs. Kennedy. She was my English teacher. She always said that I, I had a, an ability to to use my words audibly and always kind of encouraged me to, to learn English. She was a, a sweetheart. And I said, look, I wrote a story. And it, it, literally it, it was like, wow. You know, she couldn't believe that someone with little knowledge of, of the of the written language would even try to attempt it and she's like you have potential now i don't know if it was actually a you know if it was true you know because i read it now i like i said i still have it now i read it and i'm like oh dear lord it, it was horrible horrible miswritten no grammar it was just really really bad but she's like okay you know you you have a talent you you can take what you'd have in your head for linguistics and put it on paper and tell a story. So I started writing the stories and I, and comic book stories was my main forte for many, many years. And in that time as a writer, I decided that I was going to go out and try to get hired. And again, it was a, a, a kid's dream but it was it was my dream nonetheless. So I sent out manuscripts to to different companies. And I actually heard back from some until they found out I was like 14 or 15. They're like, no, mm -mm, no, grow up, kid, and then we'll talk. So I had all these comic scripts and they weren't getting published. So the next big thing that would change my life is is that my aunt, the one who gave me my comic books back when I was 13, I looked at her and I said, I think I'm going to try to make my own comic books. And she said what I think is one of the most pivotal moments, most, most important things. It was a pivotal moment in my life. Well, she's like, go ahead, go do it. So... As a, a child, you know, a legal child still, I would take these stories, and I'm also an artist, so I would draw them up. My brother Randy would lay the ink. He would be the inker. He'd lay the ink over my artwork, and 
we would take a, um, a typewriter and we would type up the, the dialogue. Well, first, before we did that, the, my aunt would come in and she was my editor, my script editor. And then we'd type it all in. And anyway, we would end up going and putting together a, a comic book. Now, it was nothing like what, you know, the real comic, quote unquote, real comic books look like. They, this was crappy. You know, I, I had limited art ability. Obviously, I had limited uh, writing ability. I, it was just really bad. And so I would go and cut them down to size, go down to my, my local liquor store, which had the only color copier that I knew of at the time where I lived. And I would, they, they could do it on 11 by 17. So I could fit two, two pages on 11 by 17. So I would scan them, flip them, scan them. And at first, I tried to keep them as low as possible. I want to say it was like 16 pages was my first comic. Because that way, number one, it didn't cost me a bunch of money. And number two, I could go and sell. Yes, I was going to sell these books. So um, I went out. I had a bundle of comics that I made. And... They were really crappy. I was selling them for like, I want to say two bucks when comic books were a dollar, dollar twenty-five. And I would literally go to people, you know, you want to buy my comic? You want to buy my comic? Some would just say, get lost, kid. But then some would, you know, buy my comics. And in that moment, I started my own business. And I continue to make comics throughout the time you know I didn't make them every month you know it wasn't like that because I was going to school and and I still liked my comics that I read so you know I would put a little bit of money back aside and then like I think it was like every three months I'd make a comic book so I did that and when I got to my last year in high school it was 1994 it was my senior year I ended up leaving the high school that I was in, and I, I went into a, a continuation high school. And a lot of people thought I was going to be a high school dropout because, you know, that's that's where you go. You know, you go to a continuation school, that's your last resort, and then you drop out, and you're a high school dropout. But by the time I finished my 11th grade, I realized that I was not an idiot and that I had a hunger to learn and that I actually had a broader scope of, of knowledge than I even realized that it was never truly tested. And within that year, now I, I did this upon myself as I was not a good student. So when I left the high school and went into another high school, I had 134 units or credits that I needed to earn to get my high school diploma. By the end of that year, now mind you, I was still collecting comics, writing, making them. In fact, I, I even started using the computer lab to digitally do my comics. But at the end of the year, I did in fact graduate. And not only did I not graduate, I, or I did graduate, I graduated with honors. I was in, uh, what was it, student of the year. And for that semester, for that senior year semester, my semester GPA was a 4.0. So the story is, is that a, a gift, just a throwaway gift was just given to me and it would change my life and it continued to evolve and to change my life. And it continues to evolve and change my life even today as I own my own business. As I produce comics, I produce novels, anthologies. It's led me into writing, you know, movies, TV shows, 
it, it's been a blessing. And it all comes from that single moment of just getting one stack of comics for my 13th birthday. Okay, that's my story. That's amazing. Uh, it's it's something that your aunt did something as simple as give you the comic books, and it would turn around and totally change your life. Uh, that means a lot, I think. Uh, adults, how they react with children, it means a lot that they that uh, what she did was a selfless act, you know. And uh, she didn't probably didn't have any idea that you would take that and run. But it's a good thing you did. Yeah, it, uh, for for my sake, for my future, it was you know I, I oh my lord, I, I honestly without that, I don't think I would have had a bright future. I think I would have dropped out of school. I think I would have been on welfare, you know, just be a laborer at most, and and that to me is a, a scary thought because I, I, I live in a happy life. You know, I, I, I don't have a grand life, you know, I don't think anybody truly has a grand life, but I'm, I'm content and I'm happy. And especially with my children, you know, I, I can't, I wouldn't be able to, to help. For example, like my son, he just graduated high school, my oldest, and he's 17 and he beat me. We were laughing about it. He he graduated. Actually, his entire school semester, or not semester, school, the whole four-year run, well, three-year, he skipped a grade. He graduated with a 4.2. He's like, ha-ha, I beat you. So that instant not only helped me in my life, but it actually would have, it changed his life, too, and he wasn't even thought of. So... It was a, a definitely a moment that I'll never forget. Well, I can totally relate to your story. I'm dyslexic. That was discovered in second grade, and I went to a special school through to sixth grade, um, which I have mirror imaging, so I see things backwards. Okay. Uh, and they had to train my brain to see words the right way. And I'm fine now. I do, uh, you know, I, I can read and you know and everything. Uh, when I'm tired, though, things start to transpose, numbers are transposed, and I'll think of a sentence, and words will be transposed in the sentence. But um, I, I'm thankful that they called it at such an early age. Were you considered dyslexic? No, I was just considered stupid. Oh, I mean, no. I, I mean, I'm just being honest. That's that's just my my family i love my family to death but they they weren't really the the supportive you know kind of just you pass along the book you know there was there was more more important things to worry about than than education i i was like the first person in my family to be very pro education in fact that i know of as far as genealogy wise I'm the first Montoya in my bloodline to even graduate high school so yeah it was now my little girl interesting enough my my middle girl actually um, Zoe is dyslexic and they just found they caught that last year and she's in first grade and they're they're working with her yeah. so I kind of understand that from that perspective as a parent it's really it's something what they can do now is with uh, learning disabilities. Uh, you know, it's really come a long way. Why don't you talk a little bit about uh, your businesses and the art aspect of what you do? Uh, are you still doing your own art for your comic books, or or do you have staff now that do that? Do you write books? Um, I okay. They're goodness. Where do I start? It's it's kind of it's very intricate of everything. Um, I barely draw anymore. I just don't have the time um, with the the family. Um, I think what needs to to be mentioned is um, I'm a widowed father of three, and 
my family comes first because I'm their only parent. So it doesn't matter how busy I am. I always try to set aside, you know, just whatever it is. Hold on. Let me do let me take care of my kids. And then I, I go back to it. So I find myself with very limited time to like draw. Um, I have a comic book setting on the back burner that I did draw and it took me forever to draw it but I, I got through it um, let's see and I run an online magazine which is celebrating its uh, 15 year anniversary September 6th called The World of Myth and I, I once in a while I'll post you know some artwork you know if I have an opportunity to sit down and draw um, or, or just an inspiration because I studied art and I know different types of art and different styles. Um, one of the ones that pops into my head that I, I did for the magazine was uh, Binday style. And Binday style is, is kind of a lost, uh, a lost art form in itself. And most people don't know what Binday is, which Binday is, um, how do I explain this? Back in in the day when there was comic books and it was printed on newsprint, you know, so like from the inception of in the 19 was 1920s to now, well, more so, not so much now, but say in the 90s, they they would print colors and they would print a four color system. CMYK, which was essentially uh, yellow, let's see, yellow, blue, green, no, yellow, red, yellow, red, green, and black, I believe, if I remember correctly. And they, they would dot it over and over again until you got that color. Well, the gentleman that created it, his name was Ben Day, and they call it Ben Day Dots. So I, I did a uh, Roy Libstrom uh, interpretation of the nurse using Binday dots. You know, that was one of the things that I, I do. And then I did a cover for that magazine in, uh, in April because April is Autism Awareness Month and I did an autism kind of awareness cover. Uh, I write, I write a novel. Actually, my novel is coming out in December called Through the Eyes of Madness. It's uh, a murder mystery, and uh, I I'm more inclined to to write short stories because of time. A lot of my short stories are, are there on the world of myth, or you can uh, look around online like Amazon and, and find me in, in an anthology. I'm always, I'm, in, I'm tons of anthologies, but I'm I'm still trying to be as creative as possible. But I lately find myself as the executive figurehead. And that is, you know, making sure the deals are happening. Um, like, so for the magazine, I've got to keep things running with the magazine. I have a, a great editor. She, she just, if, if I didn't have the editor, I think the whole thing would fall apart. Um, and then I've got a new comic book in the works. I have a toy figure that... We just got the mold on, and we're looking at you know uh, articulation and how how it would work. Um, so I'm working on that. And my biggest one right now, probably my biggest project, is uh, Pop Culture Expo, which is uh, initially it was a Comic Con in my area, but then I I wanted to branch out further to a larger audience, you know, because I feel that if you, if you just target it towards the comic book fans, you're, you're not giving the, the people you're segregating essentially. So I figure pop culture, which comic book fans fit into that, um, is a broader spectrum. So we're, we're bringing in, uh, celebrities from the, you know, like eighties and nineties, and we're going to have a like a uh, panel. The 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 screenwriter Jaws, which I'm um, very excited to meet in person. He's actually coming to do a panel because next year 
is uh, the 45th anniversary of the movie. So we've got him. So I, I've been within all that, plus I run an online uh, podcast network called the Jaisal Modcast Podcast Network. And I podcast regularly, as you can tell, as much as I'm yapping away and, and not taking a breath. I run, let's see, there is five shows a week, and in that five shows, I do three. And it comes out every week, or every day, there's a, a new podcast for that. And I think that's pretty much everything that I can think of off the top of my head. Hi, I'm Brad. And this is Rob. And I'm Dustin. Uh, you guys, I messed up. We got... We, uh, met, uh. I hate him so much, Rob. Kill yourself already. Jeez. Oh, we can't use this one. Because you dropped the F-bomb and you told him to kill himself. Oh, did I say something wrong? Only on Big Heads Media. Yes! Nailed it! God, I hate you guys. Well, your podcast you do quite often. Uh, what What is your preparation for each episode? It depends because, uh, let's see, There's each podcast has a different genre. My first one is called Who's the Boss? And that is solely kind of like what you're doing here. Is It's an interview to promote other people. So I have a guest the night before I spend at least two or three hours going in trying to find you know some of their background at form at least you know 15 questions because the show is between like 45 minutes to an hour and usually within 15 questions you can you can you know pull the whole show through and that's what i do i just sit down and and ask the the guest you know different questions and we just go from there then the the next time I do it again is called My Public Life as an American Nerd and that is mainly just me sitting sitting down for an hour and, and just nerding out because I really don't have much time to to do that elsewhere so I go through I talk about nerd stories you know oh this movie's coming out or this comic book's coming out or uh, I just recently uh, got into action figures. Uh, uh, even though I'm 42 years old, you know, I'm a grown man, I, I got into action figures. Well, it's uh, they're collector figures, I guess. Not to sound like complete nerd. Uh, I've gotten into like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street kind of stuff. So I, I talk about that and everything that's going on in nerd culture. Then on Friday, I come in and because... We started the Jaisal Modcast podcast network in, in uh, give me a minute, August, no, November 26, 2012. So we have almost 900 independent podcast shows. And on Fridays, I, I do what is called Flashback Friday. I just dig into the vault, pull out three episodes of whatever random shows read them play them and just you know just to keep them fresh to not let them die away because there's there's voices on there like my mentor he passed away and he and i did a podcast together he did his own solo podcast which were all both part of the network and and you know so is my wife my wife did uh a podcast it was uh you know, so it's it's keeping their voice alive and keeping their spirit fresh. You know, and that's the way I feel about it in doing Flashback Fridays. And and uh, so I get I do um, I sit down, I listen to them, you know, and I, I talk about them afterwards. So I, I keep I keep it a uh, I keep it diverse. What challenges do you face being a single father now? Mm. Well, it's been over three years, and I have to say, first and foremost, thank you to my sister and my brother-in-law and my mom, because without them, 
I I don't know what would happen. I really don't. I broke down for several months. Um, everything that I loved, I just stopped. I, I literally, I laid in bed. I got up. I, I'd eat. Um, and I'd eat, and I'd eat, and I'd eat. And that's another story I'll get into. And um, they they took care of my kids. Now, my wife passed away from complications of an emergency cesarean. My my youngest daughter was breached, so they, they had to, you know, remove her and she's fine she's healthy she's a beautiful little girl but she was born September 8th 2015 and my wife passed away October 8th 2015 so my daughter was literally one month old when she lost her mama and I had always been the provider I, I've grown up in a a very, I don't know, I, I traditional, I guess, would be the, the best. And, and it was a mutual agreement between my wife and I. Um, I'd known my wife since high school. We were high school sweethearts. And it was always, you, you pay the bills and you take financial. Because I was, before I took care of the kids, now, I was an EKG technician. Um, and I specialize in the heart and ICU and critical care. And so I made good money. I always make good money. And my wife took care of the kids. So one of the big things that had to go away was me working in the hospital. Um, that was, oh my gosh, that was a whole, whole different atmosphere. And I still miss it to this day. I miss, but I, I'm, I'm fortunate, I feel blessed to, to be able to be a part of my kid's life because my son, my oldest, who's 17, though, you know, I was there in his life, you know, I was part of his life. It was intermittent because I was always working. But now I'm, I'm there and we've really formed a bond. My, my daughters, um, have you know it's the same it's it's like going okay um and i i mentioned this earlier about you know how i was eating and eating and eating because i went into like a serious deep depression and i'm six foot two but even at six foot two i weighed in after after kind of coming out of my funk and realizing everything's going to be okay i weighed 360 pounds and I went and I, I, my daughter, specifically my middle's daughter, the, the one, the, the one that's dyslexic, Zoe, she begged me. Now I was drinking monster, you know, energy drinks. I was drinking sodas. I was smoking cigarettes. I was not healthy whatsoever. And because she had already lost her mama, she was just, I mean, and at the time she was four years old and she was deathly afraid that she was going to lose her daddy too and on christmas night 2015 she begged me she's like i will i will tell santa to, to not give me my presents if you quit smoking and how does a father you know say well i'm just going to keep smoking after hearing something like that so i i quit smoking like i uh stopped drinking soda i stopped all that and, and became healthy, and it, it took me from there to February to get into the gym. Long story to get to where I'm at now. Um, we've developed such a close bond, my daughters and I, is when I go to the gym, they get sad. Oh, you know, you, you have to go to the gym, and it's like, it's only for like three hours, you know, just give me a minute to, you know, take a breath. But we've we've become that close of a, a unit as a family and it just kind of happened organically everything has happened organically it's 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 just something that I looked at and say okay what do I got to do what is the best decision for the family what is the best decision for that child and then I execute it you know I I, I just I try to to be the best parent I can. 
uh, why don't you talk about your time in film uh, in your career? That that is actually something it, it, I hold very close to my heart because it all came from podcasting. Now, the my sister and her husband, the one I mentioned that helped me with my kids when I, I you know had that lapse and, and a mental breakdown essentially. It all started because of my sister, her. And that was, we had a falling out. And we didn't talk for like almost two years, I think. And when we actually talked, it was, it was a, a misunderstanding. It was a legitimate misunderstanding. So I had lost two years of my life with my sister over a, a stupid misunderstanding. And at the time, I, I remember I've always been a, a Kevin Smith fan. And I seen him post something on like his Facebook page or his Twitter page, something about podcasting. And I remember looking at my wife going, podcasting, what is that? She's like, I don't know. So I looked into it, and obviously, you know, podcasting is what. Well, back then we didn't have video podcasting; it was just audio because we didn't have the streaming capabilities that we do now. So it was just sitting down, talking, and and recording. And I was like, "Oh, that's really cool." So I came up with the idea of let's do a podcast, my sister and I, and that way every week we can sit down and be in touch and not be misinformed and have that that problem that we had originally so we sat down and we we recorded our first episode and at the time her boyfriend not even fiance her boyfriend um aaron was a guest he, he came with her and he fit into the show now originally the show was called sibling rivalry but uh like a couple months after that, I, I got a cease and desist because someone owned the copyright for a sibling rivalry podcast. So we had to change the name and we ended up calling it Seeing Red, which is an acronym for Red is Rebecca, my sister, Aaron, her boyfriend, husband, and myself, Dave. And we recorded for a very, very long time. And in the process of recording Seeing Red, we had an, an episode where we covered our content way too fast and we still had like a good 20, 25 minutes of open time. And we're like, what do we do? So Aaron is, uh, he, he does amazing voices. He should be a voice actor. And I had an idea and I, I just came up with this idea and I, I started talking, you know, talking like this and came up with this whole scenario about these Americans that were going to Canada for a vacation and they get caught or they break down and they get caught by these like cannibal, crazy Canadian hillbillies. And uh, that was episode 86. We put it up online, came back. That, that was Monday. We always produced a, a show well we produced a show on sunday put it up on monday and you know so yeah every monday but that tuesday evening when i came back from work i looked at the you know the website and people were going nuts and usually the only time people would go nuts is if we'd cover something controversial but this was just us being silly and they were like well you got to finish the story you got to finish the story so I, I called Rebecca and Aaron, and at that time, they were in the process, I believe they were in the process of getting married. And Rebecca was shed, setting up the, the wedding shower. She was going to have the wedding shower. So it was just Aaron and I available. So Aaron and I came back that following, that Tuesday. We recorded the rest of the show, and we put it up on on the, uh, you know, it was like uh, iTunes and all, you know, Stitcher, the, the rounds for podcasts. 
And that Friday, we got a call from a friend of mine and said, you should make that a movie. I'll give you $67,000 to make that movie. I'm like, let me start writing. So I sat down and I started writing. Originally, it was called Canadian Deliverance uh, after, you know, the, the episodes. But it became... After the first draft, it was called The Mongers. I want to say this because he just recently passed, and my sincere condolences to his family, was Rutger Howard was going to be the, the main antagonist for the script. And I had an opportunity through, I talked to his agent, and then I got to talk to him. And amazing amazing individual very very intelligent you know he was very humble i was you know for how popular he was you'd, you'd be really surprised how humble he was and he didn't really spend that much time in the states unless he was working so anyway uh it took me 70 days i wrote a script called the mongers and i started getting all these different people involved and we were supposed to start shooting in Big Bear, California, February of 2014. Unfortunately, my the person that got me started in, um, there was a, a, I don't know. Anyway, the movie wasn't made. We the, the funding was there. But I had made enough connections in independent Hollywood, independent film, where I was like, I was hired to do, um, I've written, I wrote the first draft. How do I say this without getting in trouble? Uh, there's a zombie, there's a weekly zombie show, and it's not The Walking Dead. And it takes place on an island. I wrote the original pilot for that. Um, I've written quite a few pilots for different places. I've written my own pilots. Um, brought me into producing. I, I did some producing stints. You can actually, you can go like my, um, what is it called? Uh, IMDB. You know, it's got all my little credits and stuff. Uh, but I, I got caught up in the whole producing thing. That That's pretty fun. You know, I always like calling people up and telling them what to do. Um, uh, uh, that's not true. I, I, I'm, I'm more uh, type A. I think that's why I, I like producing. It's like because I get to make lists. You know, I'm a, I'm a list maker. You know, like for example, I have a, a list I'm holding up. You know, I, I'm a list maker. And um, then we got together, uh, Rebecca and Aaron and I. And I say we. We're going back to the podcasting. And we had a just we decided to we didn't want to let this the monger thing die, so we we saved and got you know different people involved and, and we cut a, a trailer and we circulated it, which is actually still being circulated now. Um, just kind of went up again. We we kind of took a, a like I said after my wife passed away, I just I abandoned everything for a long time. And so I've, I've written, I've produced, I've directed, I directed the trailer. And it all comes back, or it came back to podcasting. Without podcasting, it wouldn't have done anything. Um, you know, I, I had last year, was it last year? Yeah, it was last year. You know, I, I was in talks with a, a production company that was looking at doing a uh, a series that I created for Netflix, and that's actually still in in talks. These guys are one thing you learn when you go into Hollywood is it's on their terms. So if they want it fast, you better hustle. But if they're not in a hurry, you better have patience of a saint because you're gonna wait. And, and that's where we're at right now. And um, I'm trying to think if I should drop the name of the... Well, yeah, I guess I will. Just in case you see it one of these years. 
on Netflix and it's called Sound Bites and it's about uh, two podcasters. Um, essentially what it is is uh, the idea that came was, you know, because Rush Limbaugh is a, a radio talk show host and he's very conservative. And I was like, what if Rush Limbaugh had a son who was ultra liberal and he was forced to live with his son? And that's where the story comes, you know, originally starts and it, it kind of organically takes on its own um its own life is it a comedy oh, oh yes it's it's absolutely a comedy um i originally i i produced I, I the first draft that i wrote i was i had fxx in mind and so it was really raunchy kind of kind of stuff but then um believe it or not Netflix is not big on raunchy stuff. You won't find that much raunchy stuff. So I had to literally go back in and, and rewrite it and kind of bring it to like if if it were to show on like primetime TV, you know, uh, eight o'clock in front of the world, you know, so I had to really tone it down. It's still comedy. And I believe it or not, I feel like I like this version better because it, it, it I can tell more of a, a story. I mean, it's still got some silly mild mild raunchiness into it um but it, it's still at the end of the day it's still funny and I'm, I'm really hoping that they pick it up gosh sorry i just had a i just had a thought in, in mid-sentence so like oh i gotta do this i gotta email somebody so that's uh that's that's my stint okay. in movies 